going to uh, be in um, Genesis chapter 45, the first 11 verses this morning. And while you're uh, turning there, I know oh, back in June sometime, I think Pastor Steve preached on um, forgiveness and, and uh, shared from, I think, the Gospel of Mark about forgiving and, and being forgiven. And uh, I think that's always a good place to begin a new year. Uh, we just sang, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And the reason is uh, that we've been forgiven of our sin. That's what gives us our hope. That's what allows us to be able to move forward, to have the peace of God that passes all understanding and have the joy that can never be taken away by any circumstance in our life, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so, uh, so this morning I want to look at forgiveness, uh, and I've titled it Forgiveness of View from the Top, and, and it's really how I think God sees forgiveness in our lives, and how in the life of Joseph, he demonstrated that forgiveness. Uh, in a sense, uh, he, he showed forgiveness that, that in a way that his brothers could never really grasp or, in, or, or accept, and, and that was a problem for them. Now, we know the story. Uh, it's a familiar story. We teach about Joseph in our Bible study classes in our Sunday school from early age on. And we know that Joseph uh, was one of 12 brothers of Jacob, and uh, he was a favorite. Uh, he was second to the last. Benjamin came after Joseph. And uh, Joseph somehow just was not well liked by his brothers. Uh, he started having dreams, and the dreams indicated uh, that at some point the brothers were going to bow down to him, and, and that didn't set well with them either. They, they didn't like that. They began to, to hate Joseph. And then Jacob uh, gave him a coat of many colors, and uh, that didn't set well with them either, and, and so they, they were out to get Joseph. They didn't like him. They didn't want him around. And at, at some point, Jacob told the brothers to go out up into the area of Shechem and take care of the sheep. And while they were out there, he told Joseph, he said, I want you to go out and check up on your brothers. Now, I have an older and a younger brother. And for me to go check up on them, uh, you know, why are you up here checking on us? Uh, we, we're good on our own. And, uh, and so Joseph was being obedient to his father, and uh, he went and he ultimately found them. And you know the story that as he was approaching, his brothers decided, let's kill him. Now that's, that's really a lot of hate uh, toward somebody in your family and, and uh, wanting to kill him. Well, Reuben said, no, we, we're not going to kill him. So they took him, they threw him into a pit. And when a band of Midians were passing through heading to Egypt, they decided to sell him to them. Uh, so they took his coat of many colors, uh, they dipped it in sheep's blood, and they took it back home and told Jacob that he had been attacked by an animal and was dead. And that absolutely destroyed Jacob. He was, he was in great grief from that point on. Well, we know that as they went into Egypt, uh, Joseph was sold to a man named Potiphar. And uh, Joseph served in Potiphar's family and his household, and he served very well. 
And uh, he, he was raised to and elevated to a place of position while in Potiphar's care. The one problem that Potiphar had was he had a wife um, who was, well, we could say somewhat loose. And uh, uh, she desired Joseph. Joseph was one of those guys that had that curse, I think, that, that, you know, that, that the ladies liked. They looked upon him, they liked him. It's not a curse I've ever had. I never had that problem. Um, you know, I was the guy in high school that would call and say, hey, you wouldn't want to go out with me, right? So uh, it's, it's amazing I ever went out anywhere. But, but Joseph was one of those guys, and, and she desired him, and, and he stayed the distance from her. And uh, finally, when they were alone one day, uh, she tried to seduce him, and Joseph did what we all should do in times of temptation. He turned and ran. Well, when he ran, he left his coat with her. And uh, so when Potiphar came home, she convinced him that Joseph had tried uh, to attack her and to rape her. And so Potiphar, uh, and in the, in the movies, you know, there's a lot of, of extra stuff in there. But for whatever reason, Potiphar believed his wife, put Joseph in jail. So Joseph is in jail. He's been there a while. Again, he is elevated in a, to a position within the jail itself. And the, the Pharaoh throws two guys in that prison. One was a baker, one was a cupbearer. And uh, they were put there because one of them had tried to poison the Pharaoh. And so they're in there and, and they have these dreams. And the one dream is that, that the one guy is gonna get out of jail and be okay. The other guy is gonna be uh, killed. And they, they didn't understand the dream, so they shared it with Joseph, and Joseph explained to them what was going to happen. And sure enough, uh, the one who had actually tried to poison the Pharaoh, uh, life was taken. The other was restored to his position. But Joseph said, listen, when you do get back up there into the, into the palace, uh, don't forget about me. Tell Pharaoh that I'm here, who I am. And, and well, he forgot, you know, once you've kind of been suspected about something and, and you're restored, you're not going to just jump right back in and, and start to uh, talk about another guy in prison to get him out. Uh, but down the road, Pharaoh began to have dreams and Pharaoh didn't understand the dreams. And he had asked all of uh, his uh, key guys, what, what's the interpretation? And they couldn't answer it. And finally, uh, the cupbearer told Pharaoh, he said, well, you know what? I remember now there was a guy in prison with me who when I had a dream and the, the uh, baker had a dream, he interpreted them and the, the interpretation was true. And so Pharaoh said, well, bring him to me. And they brought Joseph up and he shared his dreams with them, uh, with Joseph. And, and Joseph said, yes, I can interpret the dream. He said, there's going to be seven years of famine and then seven years of plenty. And, uh, and Pharaoh was just blown away by this. He said, wow, uh, man, that is awesome. He said, I need somebody to oversee this whole thing and I want you to be the man. So in every station of life, no matter what was going on with Joseph, good or bad, God was elevating him to a certain place, a certain uh, authority, a certain responsibility. And now he is second in command in Egypt. 
And through the seven years of famine, uh, Joseph did a tremendous job er, of plenty. Joseph did a, a tremendous job of storing grains uh, all over Egypt. Uh, so that there was so much that when the seven years of famine came, uh, other nations and other peoples were coming to them to try and get food from them. Well, and that's where Joseph's brothers come in. Uh, because Jacob said, listen, we are, we are in need of food. So I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to go and ask the guy in charge there if we can get some grain from them. And uh, so they go. They show up, they do not recognize Joseph as being second in command, and they are somewhat fearful. Now there's a series of events that we're not going to get into and how Joseph kind of played with them a little bit, uh, but ultimately we come to our passage uh, where Joseph um, deals with them being there. So if you will, follow me, beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 40, chapter 45. Scripture says this, uh, because Joseph is now overcome uh, with emotion about his brothers being there. It, and the scripture says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Key point. Verse 6, for two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Now, there's some important things from this passage about Joseph. We're really going to see Joseph's faith. We're going to see God's will. And we're going to see forgiveness take place in a setting of real life with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph being the one who is forgiving. His brothers being the ones who would not receive forgiveness because they were in such terror from Joseph. So the first thing I want to point out is this. We must live by faith even in the midst of challenging circumstances. 
I mean, if you look at Joseph's life and just, just lay it all out and think, wow, uh, here his father loves him, but his brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. He finally gets a good position in a, in a household and then he's falsely accused. He's thrown into prison and he stays there and ultimately he gets out of prison and finally he gets uh, into the Pharaoh's court and made second in command in Egypt. But look at all the time period that that took place. That could have been very depressing. Uh, a lot of times when circumstances happen in our life and, and things that should be going good go bad, uh, we begin to get defeated and we get deflated and we get discouraged and we begin to wonder, God, what are you doing? We don't find that in Joseph's life. Joseph, it seems that even in the midst of all the circumstances that he had to endure, walked by faith and trusted God. He didn't understand what was going on. He didn't see the future for himself, but he believed that what God was doing was going to be done in him and through him to accomplish some ultimate purpose. He remembered the dreams that he had had about how God at some point was going to have his own brothers bow down to him. He didn't really understand all that that meant, but he knew God would be faithful. We need to remember that faith is defined in Hebrews 11 verse 1 where it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when things go bad after they've been going so good, we have to remember God is still there. That God has a bigger plan and that plan isn't focused just on that moment or that time period where things are really seeming to fall apart. God is there all the time. And in the midst of your journey, in the midst of what God is doing, there are going to be those times where we might get discouraged and disappointed and we might even get defeated. Listen, you're going through a period of time right now as a church. You're anticipating that God is going to bring you a shepherd, a pastor who will lead you and teach you and guide you and care for you. You don't know who that is and you don't know when that's going to happen, but God's going to do something. And it doesn't matter what's gone up and down in the past and what kind of struggles you've been through. You're where you're at today because God has been faithful and he's asking you to trust him and to believe that everything that has taken place already in the life of this church is part of a journey that God knows the end and how wonderful that will be. And so even in the times of bad circumstances, we have to remember that whether it's in our individual lives or whether it's in the life of a church. Think about it. He lived in faith and obedience and submission to the Lord uh, when given the dream, when he was thrown into a cistern, when he was in Potiphar's house and falsely accused, when he was forgotten by the cupbearer, when he was put in second command in Egypt, when he faced his brothers and tested them and forgave them and brought them to safety in the land of Egypt. Joseph walked by faith and that faith produced forgiveness toward his brothers who had hated him to the point of wanting to kill him. Joseph wasn't one to live in the past. Joseph was one to look toward the future and understand that God was in control. How do we do this? Well, in Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and said this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, 
when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not man, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. You see, we don't live our life in relation to other men. We live our life in relationship to Christ. That is how we can faithfully walk even through difficult circumstances. When we live outside of the blessings of God and when we, we focus on our trials, we will live defeated. And that defeatedness will lead to depression and depression will lead you to struggle in every single area of your life. We don't have to live defeated. We live in victory. Romans 8, 28 says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We have to let go of whatever has happened in the past in order to focus on the future. The other thing is, is that we'll be drawn away from God. If we allow the circumstances of life and the disappointments to defeat us and depress us, uh, we will begin to draw away from him. When in fact, when we're in those circumstances, we should be drawn to him because he is our strength. He is the one we're supposed to go to. He is the one that's gonna give us the comfort and the confidence of moving forward. The Bible says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. And as a loving father, he will always care for his children, no matter what's going on in their life. But we also are denied the joy of our salvation. Too often, circumstances of life just just tear out the joy of our hearts. And our joy isn't found in the circumstances of life. It's not found in, in the successes of our own life. Our joy is found in our relationship to Christ. He's the one that gives us the peace that passes understanding, not like the world gives. He's the one who gives us the joy of our heart, understanding and trusting that no matter what's going on in our life, he is with us and doing something through us, which is exactly why Paul and Silas could sing praises of him in the midst of a dungeon. You see, if we let those things, those circumstances define who we are, we lose all of those things. We're defeated. We're drawn away from God. And we're denied the joy and the peace that only comes through him. The second thing here is this. Our growing faith through circumstances develops our understanding of God's purpose and our ability to forgive. Uh, too often, uh, you know, people will say, well, you just don't know what happened to me. I, I can't forgive them. You don't understand. Well, you know, I, I may not understand, but certainly God understands. Uh, look what we did to Christ. Look what our sin has done in separating us from God. Look at the extent that Jesus had to go to to redeem us and forgive us of our sin. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He was rejected by those he came to save. And yet through the cross and through his resurrection, we have victory through Jesus Christ. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. You see, we have to understand that even through the circumstances, our faith 
gives us the ability to forgive others. And if we don't forgive, we are truly outside the will of God. Joseph's faith and trust in God led him to a place where he understood God's plan for his life and his need to forgive. Now here's the key. Two times Joseph makes this statement to his brothers. Uh, First he says, and now, in chapter 45, verse 5, and now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with who? With yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph reminds them again, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Too often we get locked into our little little world and we're missing a bigger picture not understanding that even though someone might have done wrong to us and even with a a hateful attitude that somehow God in his power and sovereignty and love somehow God is using that to accomplish a greater purpose Now we don't always understand what that is. Joseph seems to have put that all together as he became second in command in Egypt. He's looked at his brothers and he wept over them and and he was sorrowful for them, but he was also forgiving of them. And he recognized that it wasn't they that put him there. God did this and God allowed it to happen to accomplish a greater purpose, the saving of many, many lives. Have you ever asked yourself the question maybe, when somebody, uh, something has happened to you, uh, an individual or a circumstance, something's gone wrong, you know, you're finally making progress and, and you're excited about that and all, everything's going great and then all of a sudden kind of the world caves in and you feel like, oh man, I've lost everything. Have you ever wondered if possibly God has allowed that to happen because he's going to accomplish something much greater in your life and through your life that could result in the saving of other lives? Now, we don't save anybody, but certainly God puts us in places and in positions and in opportunities where the gospel of Christ can be proclaimed in ways that it may not have been able to otherwise. Sometimes God takes even the wrong intent of those around us to accomplish something wonderful through us. And so why wouldn't we forgive? Why wouldn't we forgive those who have harmed us, especially when we don't understand exactly all the implications of what has taken place through them? Examines there's some false ideas about forgiveness and let me just share a couple of those with us first forgiveness is not overlooking the wrong it's not acting as if it never took place Uh, that's not forgiveness Joseph did not pretend that nothing had happened he clearly said you meant it for evil but God meant it for good Joseph did not minimize the wrong that they had done He also uh, didn't excuse the wrong. In other words, he didn't act as if it never happened. He knew bad things had happened, that they had treated him wrongly, that their heart was, was angry and hateful toward him. He didn't just let it go. He did not find excuses for the wrong that was done to him. What happened was not the result of a bad home environment or, or poverty or any other thing that we attribute 
actions like this too. Uh, they had literally wanted to kill him. He understood it. They knew it. Forgiveness also is not minimizing the wrong or lessening its impact. And forgiveness is not taking the blame for the wrong. In other words, Joseph didn't say to his brothers, hey guys, hey, you, you don't have anything to worry about. Had I not had those dreams, had I not wore my coat of many colors, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Had I not been a little on the arrogant side, and, you know, really living in the, the highlight of, of, of father's love and, and throwing that in front of you, he didn't do that at all. He knew it was their choice, it was their actions, it was their heart that had caused them to act the way that they did. So, so none of those things uh, were, were, uh, were, were the reason. They had done wrong. Joseph didn't minimize it. Extending forgiveness is hard, but forgiveness is a decision to bring pain to an end. In order to forgive, I must let go of my resentment and my bitterness and my hurt and my pride. Forgiveness is, is hard, but hate is even harder. A guy named Lewis Smead, said this. He said, the miracle of forgiving is the creation of a new beginning. It does not always take away the hurt. It does not deny the past injury. It merely refuses to let them stand in the way of a new start. You see, in the context of our individual lives and in the context of even a body of Christ, there are things that have happened in the past. It doesn't matter what church it is. It doesn't matter what size the church is. Uh, it just doesn't matter. But there are things that have happened in the past, either in relationship with, with the leadership or with one another, that sometimes we hold on to and we're unwilling to let go. And we may say in word, oh, I forgave them, but in actions we don't. And we harbor that unforgiveness. And we're not recognizing that until we let that go and we're able to forgive and move on, it's always going to linger. It's kind of like Marley in Scrooge's story. He shows up and he's got all these chains. And he said, these are the things of my past and I'm carrying them around. Unforgiveness, sin is like that in your life. The more you're unforgiving, the more burden you're carrying around with you and and we don't need to do that we need to let things go we need to move forward we need to be forgiving toward those who have harmed us understanding that God takes all of those things to our circumstances and he uses them for something greater in the future the third thing here is this Forgiveness must be accepted or forgiveness must be received. Even years later, after they had brought their father Jacob down to Egypt, where he eventually died, they were still afraid that Joseph might get revenge against them. It's years later, they're still not fully accepted, have, have accepted the forgiveness that has been extended to them. Uh, they had no faith that Joseph was going to keep his forgiveness. So all these, this time, during this period after they came to Egypt and before Jacob died, and even after he died, they carried this fear, this unbelief that Joseph would be true to his statement about forgiving them and moving forward. 
You know, a lot of times we live in that circumstance. Uh, maybe we've done something wrong to someone and they, and they say, yeah, I've forgiven. But we're always uh, very careful around them. We're kind of walking on eggshells because we really don't believe that they have done it. In fact, we do the same thing with Jesus Christ. Jesus said that when you confess your sin, that he will forgive your sin. That means he wipes it away as far as the east is from the west, where he's not holding on to your past, but he's looking forward to your future. And yet we still have trouble sometimes believing that he has forgiven us. And we're carrying around these burdens of unforgiveness in our own hearts that we have committed. I remember after I gave my life to Christ when I was 27 years old, I came down and I surrendered my life to Jesus. I understood that my sins for, were forgiven. I didn't understand all the implications of that, uh, but things were going good. I was, my life had changed. My life was transformed. I was a new creation in Christ. And just about three years later, God began to deal with me about going into full-time ministry to be a pastor, to be a preacher, a teacher. And all of a sudden, the red flag popped up. And I'm arguing with God. Do you know what I have done in my life? I didn't believe that, that he could take someone with my past and, and then allow me to stand and share his word with others. And God and I wrestled with that. Well, actually, I wrestled with God uh, for about three months. It was a terrible time in my life. And I finally accepted the fact that when he said he had forgiven me, he had forgiven me. And I didn't need to worry about what had happened in my past. I only needed to be concerned about what I needed to do then and where I needed to go. Too often we're praying and praying and asking God to forgive us and God saying, I forgave you, I forgave you. And then we go back and we ask him to forgive us of the same thing that we've asked before. And God says, I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you. And we go back and we say, God, why don't you forgive me? He said, I, gave you, I forgave you the first time you asked. Why are you still worried about this? Move on. You see, the brothers couldn't seem to do that with Joseph for whatever reason. They didn't believe him. Uh, once again, a, a guilt came into their hearts. Uh, they had no faith in what Joseph had said. And in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20, the scripture says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They're going to remind Joseph of what Jacob said. <clears throat> this is what you are to say to Joseph. Ask to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. In other words, Joseph had already forgiven them. He, had, he, had, he was absolutely uh, gotten rid of all of that. He wasn't concerned with it. It wasn't a burden to him. There was no revenge. There was no hate toward his brothers. When he said he had forgiven, he had forgiven. And then they say, please forgive the sins of your servants. And Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. 
the saving of many lives. Third time he says that. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I don't know if they ever really embraced that or understood it. Joseph couldn't have made it any clearer. What he had done the first time, he was affirming now a third time, recognizing that even though they had bad behavior and hate toward him, God was accomplishing something through that. And I just wonder sometimes how often we are where the brothers are in relationship to one another when we we are to forgive one another and receive forgiveness from one another so we can be united and move forward together in alignment with God's will and how so often we hold on to things that God has said, let it go. I forgave you the first time you asked. I want to accomplish something wonderful in your life. Don't worry about what's happened. All of this I have in my design. I know your journey better than you do. There are things that have happened that, yeah, they may not have been so great. There are people that have treated you ways that were not right. But you're not, you're not serving them. You're serving me. You are my child. I have control of your life. I'm going to accomplish great things in and through you. Let it go. Put it behind you. And let me be glorified in your life. They were still holding on to that which should have been let go. Joseph's heart was broken that the brothers had not accepted his forgiveness. But how about you? Maybe you're still fighting with guilt of sins that you have already asked God to forgive you for. If you have asked God's forgiveness, he forgave you. Then and there, the question is, have you allowed yourself to be forgiven or are you living as if you've never been forgiven? You see, Paul made that statement in Philippians chapter 3 when Paul said this. He said, I forget that which lies behind and I press on to that which lies ahead for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul could have held on to his past, persecuting and throwing men and women, children, Christians into prison, trying to destroy that which Christ was trying to do. He was there when they stoned Stephen and he let them lay their coats at his feet. And he, in a sense, was affirming that and a part of it. Had he not let go of that and believed that when God forgave him it was a clean slate and a new future, he never would have done what he did for the Lord. We wouldn't have the passages and the the scriptures in the New Testament written by him. He would not have impacted the Gentiles like he did through the preaching of the gospel. You see, we have to let go of those things. Jesus taught about it. He preached about it. He told us about it. Joseph lived it out for us in his life. And really God is saying to us, listen, I don't know how many times I need to tell you this, but believe me when I tell you that when you ask forgiveness, you're forgiven. And that as a Christ follower, when you say you're going to forgive somebody, you forgive them. And it doesn't matter what's happened in the past, you put that away. You don't forget it. You don't minimize it. You don't make excuses for it. You don't, you, you don't take the blame for it. You just put it behind you. Say, okay, I learned. I understand. 
God's doing something through this. Now let's join hands together and move forward in unity so we can serve Christ and proclaim his kingdom. You see, there are some things that, that we get stuck on and, and that we can't seem to let go. And God says, let it go. There's a greater future ahead for you. Forgiveness is the most God-like act a person can do as a Christ follower. Nothing is more like God than forgiving someone and never are you more like God than when you forgive others. Remember, if you're saved today, it's only because you yourself has been forgiven. Remember that you will need forgiveness yourself in the future. <laughs> I don't know if anybody thinks that, oh, wow, I, don't, I live such a great life. I'm never going to do anything to anybody that I'm going to need forgiveness for. No, there's something that's going to happen in your life. And we're still struggling with the flesh. We're still fighting the battle. And we're going to do something at some time that's going to harm someone, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. And we're going to need to ask forgiveness. We would want them to forgive us as they would want us to forgive them, just as Christ has forgiven all of us. And move forward and glorify our Lord. You cannot know forgiveness until you've received God's forgiveness. Because you've been forgiven through Christ, you must forgive others. Did you realize that's not an option? Jesus didn't just teach about it and demonstrate it for us. He didn't give us an option. He said, you are to forgive. He didn't say, hey, you know, it's been tough. Would you consider forgiving this person? No, there's no option there. Just as he forgave us, we are to forgive others. That shows Christ in us, and that gives people hope and promise. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men uh, their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. I think Jesus has been very clear about that. And I think through the life of Joseph, and I love Joseph's life. I love his persistence. I love his faithfulness. I love how he continued on. I, I love how he didn't have to understand everything. Uh, he lived for, for God. He served God. Uh, he, he was elevated everywhere he went because he had a, a godly heart. And when bad things happened, he didn't give up. He didn't drop out. He didn't run away. He just waited for the next thing to come that God was going to do. But he understood that what God was doing was for a purpose. And it was going to save many lives. Think about this. When you live in forgiveness and joy and peace in the Lord, you are going to be much more open and sensitive to those around you to minister to them, you're going to want to share that love with others. You're going to be inspired by God. The Holy Spirit will move you in that joy and in that peace and in that understanding, not hung up on unforgiveness, to go out and share that good news. That's the good news. The bad news is, is if we don't forgive. The good news is Christ did forgive. And if we forgive as Christ forgave, guess what? In a lost world, that's good news. Because through that forgiveness, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a hope that no matter what happens to us in this life, good or bad, when we leave this world, we're going to be with him. 
Man, that in and of itself ought to bring joy to our hearts. That ought to excite us. That ought to take us and, and help us want to help others in their struggles of forgiveness. There's all kinds of health issues and spiritual issues and mental issues that are related uh, to bad things happening in people's lives. And I'm not discounting those things, but I am saying this. When you can let it go, when you can come and believe that when somebody says they forgive you, you can walk in that. And when you say you forgive someone else, they believe it because you will live it out in your life. That makes a huge difference in how we relate to one another and how we serve Christ and how we work together for his glory and his kingdom. So as you are looking ahead, as you are, are, are allowing God to work in your life as individuals, as a church, as a family, as a community, understand that even when bad things happen, somehow there is a purpose in it that you may not see right now. So don't hold on to what man does. Hold on to what God is doing and let things go so God can move through you and in you to accomplish great things. Uh, again, Joseph gave us a great example for that. But what do we do with it? Well, um, understand, first of all, how great God's love is. Now, I've shared this uh, little illustration. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a cool little illustration. I really love it, so I share it a lot. So if you've heard it before, act as if you didn't. How's that? And then, then I'll ask your forgiveness if you have. But, <laughs> but it's a... It's a story about a guy who had, uh, who loved cars and he bought this really uh, kind of beat up old uh, sports car. And, uh, you know, it was one of those, uh, those older ones and, and uh, he just loved it and he put it in the garage and he worked on it and built it and polished it and it was just perfect. And uh, nobody would drive the car. He didn't even drive it except on occasion. And uh, he had gone to work one day and his wife was preparing a meal for some people coming over that evening and she did, needed something to, to, uh, to make the meal come together. And she, she didn't have the other car. And she thought, well, I'm just going to run down to the store and run right back. Uh, it's only a few blocks away. Nothing will happen. And you know what happened. Uh, on her way back, uh, she got into a car crash just down from her house. And uh, nobody was hurt, uh, but the police officer came and she was sitting on the curb and she was just broken and, and weeping. And, and he said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. He said, I need to see your license and registration. She said, well, it's in the glove compartment, I think. So he went over and he came back and he had this little bag. And uh, he said, you know, I got this bag. It has the registration in it. And he said, but there's also a little note in here. There's a little envelope and it has your name on it. And so uh, he handed it to her, and, and uh, she opens it up, and this is what the note said. The note said this, if you're reading this, it means you've crashed my car. <laughs> he said, but I want you to know that you're more important than my car is. You know, we, we have a lot of crashes in life, and, and many of them are our fault, and some of them aren't our fault. But God loves us more than those crashes. And you need to love your brother and sister in Christ more than those crashes. None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. We're going to do things, sometimes with malice, sometimes with hate. We're still struggling with that in our lives. 
But when somebody comes and, and they need forgiveness, man, you've got to forgive them and put it behind you and then move forward. When you've done something to someone, Matthew 18 says, when, when somebody has ought against you, you go to them and sit down with them and talk to them and seek to work it out. When you need to forgive, you need to forgive. When you need forgiveness, you want to have that same forgiveness from them. Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we would be forgiven. I believe him. <laughs> you need to believe him. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And I don't care how bad your, your life has been in a car crash, how messed up it's been. I mean, I could, I could share uh, a long time about my life prior to Christ. It's not going to do you any good to know that. It does me great, uh, great benefit knowing it because I know the extent of God's forgiveness for me. I think it was John Newton that said, I only know two things. And he said this on his deathbed. He said, I know two things. I said, I know first, John Newton's a great sinner. Secondly, that Christ is a great Savior. So it doesn't matter where you've been. It's where you're at right now. Maybe this morning you need to come before Christ and just confess your sin and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I've done bad things. And I want to turn from those things. I want to turn from my life and follow Jesus Christ in repentance. And I believe that what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection was sufficient to pay the price I could never pay myself. We're going to have some pastors down here at the front, and you can come and meet with them and pray with them. And, and the Bible says uh, that if we pray and ask Jesus to forgive us, he will. And the Holy Spirit will come in and make us a brand new creation. All things will be passed away. All things will become new. But believer, listen. Maybe you've not been forgiving Maybe you're still holding on to things from the past that somebody has done. And you need to ask forgiveness for that and allow God to refresh you and let go of it so that you can be in unity with other believers in Christ and with this body as you move forward. Father, I thank you for the message of your word that Joseph lived a life that really demonstrated what forgiveness is, who never got defeated or depressed, but who was continuous in his faith and his walk, honoring you and waiting for you to work in his life patiently because he understood that what he was doing, what you were doing in his life was going to be for the benefit of others, that others could be saved. Father, I believe that for us this morning, that no matter what's happened in a person's life, no matter where they're at this morning, you have them on a journey. And there's a greater end to that journey than maybe what they're seeing this morning. And they need to come, just acknowledge that and confess it. Be forgiven and be renewed to move forward in faith. Help brother and sister forgive one another Help those who have been at odds with each other forgive one another so that you can in this body present to a new pastor, a new shepherd, a body of believers who are ready for leadership, who are ready to come together unified, forgiven with joy and peace so that you can work a great work through this church. 
And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, take just a moment and just pray and ask, Lord, how do I need to respond this morning to your word? And then if there's a need, you come forward and meet with one of our pastors here who will pray with you. So just take a moment to do that and, uh, and then we're going to close. Father, thank you for our response this morning. We know that anytime we come into your presence in any Bible study or preaching or even worship and we meet with you, there's always a response. One is receptive and one is surrendering. I pray none will leave here today having rejected what you've spoken to them. Let us leave here with new hearts and new minds and fresh spirit to serve you and bring glory to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.